Hi, welcome again, everybody. This is the Shop Notes Podcast, a weekly woodworking podcast from the folk at Woodsmith Magazine. Today is episode 17, and I'm your host, Phil Huber, and I'm joined today by designer Dylan Baker and assistant editor Logan Whitmer. On today's episode, we're going to talk about unusual shop materials and supplies, as well as what's going on behind the scenes at Woodsmith and what we have going on on our workbench. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Plans. You'll find nearly a thousand plans covering everything that you'd want to build, from furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects and jigs, and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com. Okay, Logan, so the idea of unusual shop supplies was was your brainchild. Yeah, so, well, unusual shop must-haves. Like, must-haves, there yeah, you go. Yeah, so, so maybe not necessarily supplies. That's because, I mean, we have been working from home for the last couple of weeks, right? Sure. Uh, we will be working at home for the next couple of weeks which means I'm spending a lot of time in my shop. I mean, that's where my computer's set up. And uh, I'm working on some magazine stuff, building some magazine stuff. Uh, and I've noticed there's two things, uh, three things, let's call it three things, that I have every single day in my shop. And I'm like, people are going to think I'm an idiot for this. So I thought it'd be fun to let people call me an idiot. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. So just want me to jump into my, my, first, my two? Let's go right in because okay. I think what's kind of funny is that uh, uh, I think woodworkers by nature are a little bit collectors. Yeah, for sure. Oh, so, yeah. and I think we usually end up finding something that works in a pinch, and then after that, we start hoarding that kind of must-have or whatever, and just keeping things like that around, and then are yeah. on the lookout for similar items. For sure. So my first shop must have, my first weird, unusual shop must have. Okay, I'm gonna show these and I'm gonna be embarrassed. They're shop crocs. Oh, and they're camouflage too. And they're well, yeah, okay, they're camouflaged, so they're kind of cool, right? Like they lose the croc factor by being camouflaged. Do but, they? Uh, yes, Phil, they do. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so my shop is uh, in my basement. I'm in my shop, I'm in my basement. Uh, and inherently, having a shop in the house, I get dust all over, right? I mean, it's the, the ambient dust that flies around isn't terrible, okay? I have, a, I have overhead dust collector in here, or uh, uh, air filter. Uh, right. I have dust collection ported into the shop. But my plane shavings, I mean, they just, they load up on the floor. Um, I've been doing some brass work this week. Uh, there's brass powder all over and it just, if you have socks on and you're walking around in the shop, I mean, a socks in the shop, not a great idea. You drop a chisel, you lose a toe. Okay. Right. Uh, and B the, the dust and shavings, everything sticks to the socks, right? So sure. my solution are my shop crocs. Um, nice. I sit was that? I, I didn't know they made perforated steel-toed Crocs, but um... uh, <laughs> they're not. If you're, if you're dropping a chisel, you <laughs> still might lose a toe. You <laughs> might, but I haven't yet. So, um, but no, seriously. So I keep these by the front or by my the door to my shop. So as first thing when I walk in, slip them on, walk around the shop, 
I don't worry about shavings or anything getting all over my socks. And then when I walk out of my door into our living room in the basement, no shavings. Then I can blame anything that makes it out there. Then I can honestly blame on the dogs or the kids. I, I shamelessly can uh, come forward with the fact that I wear Crocs and not only in the comfort of my own home, but have been uh, caught wearing them in the shop here. I can't uh, give you too much flack for it. So. Oh. And they're comfortable. I mean, hey, not only are they great for walking down to the mailbox or walking around the garage, they're awesome for in my shop, too. So that's my first shop must-have. I like the uh, the kind of Japanese aesthetic there where you like change your <laughs> shoes as soon as you change change spaces. So. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because I bought these for a Boundary Waters trip. Like, oh, these will be great. Like, get the hammock, slip them on, walk around the campfire or walk up to the bathroom or whatever. Uh, and now I just find myself wearing them all the time. So uh, I have my regular slippers for the rest of the house, but these are my shop ones now. So that's number one. Uh, number two, I don't think is as far uh, out in left field as that is. Uh, but it's one of these guys. So in my shop, I have a lot of the amenities that we'd have in a normal shop. Okay, I have my dust collection, I have an air filter, I have all my, my table saw, everything else is down here. I don't have an air compressor in here. I have a small pancake one that I can uh, bring down if I want. So if I have to use like an air nail or a brad nail or whatever, I can bring it down. Uh, but it usually lives in my garage. So I'm a blower. If I go to clean stuff up, uh, I like to blow stuff off and then sweep. So I'll actually turn my, my air cleaner on. I will blow everything off. And then I will sweep up after everything is settled, right? So I use one of these guys. This is, I don't know if you guys can see that. It is a computer cleaner. Compu cleaner? Is that going to come from CompuServe then? Yeah, I, maybe. Uh, CompuCleaner.com. But this was like a $15 or $20 Amazon purchase. That is freaking phenomenal to have in the shop. <laughs> like, I can just plug this in blow off my bench, blow off the dog, because she's usually covered in shavings, sure. and then let everything settle, and then I can come back and sweep it up. Um, I know when we do our shop cleanups, some people don't like blowing stuff off, but to me, it's a good way to get all the dust on the floor where it's easily tackled with the broom. Yeah, it does put it in the air a little bit, which is why I turn my uh, air cleaner on, Sure. leave the room for a little bit after I blow it all off, uh, and then come back and sweep up. Uh, but the thing's phenomenal. Um, work with, like I said, brass. Uh, it's uh, pretty easy to clean up. I can vacuum the brass up because it falls in mainly one place. Um, but uh, getting the dust off of stuff, um, particularly my work keyboard that has been in my shop now, uh, I, I'll get done doing something. I'll go sit down to type it on an email, and I'm like, oh, this thing is really gritty and dusty now. And I look at my fingers after I'm done. I'm like, oh, that's not good for it. So I'll come through, blow it off, uh, blow off my table saw, my workbench, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. and then my third one, I have one more. Okay. I always keep a roll of rosin paper in my shop. I don't know. Uh, like like uh, red the, stuff or whatever. Red stuff. Yeah. So I had a roll uh, from when I built my house. Okay. It's lived in my shop, uh, and I ran out, like, probably three weeks ago. And I'm like, well, crap. 
I use that for everything. I mean, it was stuff I threw on my bench for finishing. Um, and then actually I used it a lot for packing. So I, you know, I've talked about selling old hand tools and stuff. The resin oh, yeah. is super cheap and it's super heavy duty. You can bundle up something in it and it's really cushioned. Uh, so I go through probably one big, great big roll of rosin paper every six months. Uh, and awesome shop supply to have. Okay, so how much does a ro roll of rosin paper run nowadays? Uh, usually like like ten or twelve bucks. Oh, that's not too bad. No, it's significantly cheaper than buying um, uh, bubble wrap. Oh, so it's like buying a roll of bubble wrap. I can buy like a twenty-five foot roll of bubble wrap for twelve bucks, or I can buy a five hundred foot roll of rosin paper for you know twelve bucks. Sure. Um, so pretty good, and it works well to keep your bench clean. Nice. So, yeah. This whole premise of our podcast right now, our topic is reminding me of this meme that I saw. And I'm, I'm really regretting the fact that I just used meme as a point of reference. But <laughs> there was a photograph of this this old photograph of a guy that looks like to be dressed by like as if he were an old pope with a, an alligator on a leash. And it's like me coming out of quarantine with all the stuff I bought off Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yep. Well, Dylan, you got anything, or do you need a little bit more time? Um, I guess off the top of my head, and it's something that I use quite often. I don't know if it's quirky, because I'm sure there's other people out there that um, have certainly used it um, to the same degree that I have. But I, I, uh, I always have double stick tape on me. I mean, I, I've continued to use find uses for double stick tape pretty much for everything I do in the shop, and. Um, the project I'm currently working on is a little bit smaller and there's a, I'm using a template, a master template to do a lot of the, not only uh, profiling on it, but um, also the miters on the, the four, the four corners. And instead of, you know, going out of my way to build a jig and attaching to Staco clamps, which is probably the, you know, the more practical route, you know, it take you a little bit more time up front, but um, I have just been using the template with double stick tape, and over and over and over and probably have gone through, you know, half a roll, which probably is the most cost effective seeing as double stick tape is a lot more expensive than the price per gallon of gas right now. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, it's always seems to be something other than again, a pencil and a, a combination square. I'm, I'm using double stick tape for, for templates and um, really anytime I'm just appearing stuff to flush trim or profile or um, it's just a, it's just a quick fix. And, you know, it works just as well as the clamp in my opinion to make, you know, repeatable cuts and profiles and that sort of thing. But um, again, I don't know how quirky that is, but, it was something that was relevant in terms of what I'm working on now. Um, short of uh, drawing curves with a, a ruler, like I know a lot of people probably do this, so it's not terribly unique, but just using a, a stainless ruler with a, a, a quick grip clamp and creating curves that way versus, you know, if you're yep. short on extra hands in the shop, you know, you're always looking for ways to uh, be self-sufficient and self-sustaining. <laughs> and, and that's, that's definitely one that I resort to more times than not is just my 12 inch stainless ruler um, with a, a quick grip clamp and just, you know, get squeezing it basically till I get the, the radius or the arc that I want. So sure. um, no Amazon purchases, sorry, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I don't remember why I bought this stupid blower. I bought it for something. It may have been when I was 
building my computer. I don't know. It, it may have been a lightning deal. Who knows? But I'm like, this is perfect for blowing <laughs> off everything in the shop. <laughs> and not nearly as loud as a compressor. No, it's right. not. Yeah, you don't have to put your ear protection on to use it. <laughs> right. But uh, I'm sure, I don't know, maybe some more will ruminate as we continue on. But do you have anything you want to contribute, Phil? Well, I have a, a couple... I have two for sure, and then a third one that I might bring in here. The first one, I mean, the, the concept of it isn't super original to me, so I'm not going to claim any kind of credit for it, <laughs> is I keep these little, uh, like, condiment containers from your favorite fast food place. Mm -hmm. Sure. But I have sanding dust in there for different species of wood that I usually use. Yep. So I think this one's white oak. And then I have another little deli one with cherry sanding dust. And then this one is kind of a maple basswood one. So I think the oddball part here is that I have more than one container. And, and I use that for creating uh, custom filler for mm. different projects. So it's not necessarily that I guess that it has to be the exact same material, but it's more like similar color families, you know? So like the cherry sanding dust will work with cherry and mahogany and uh, even walnut in a pinch. Uh, and then I keep something lighter for kind of your maple birch plywood kind of things. Uh, and then the white oak one is kind of the medium tone that can fill in. So now uh, I usually use liquid hide glue when I'm making filler because I find that that's a better I don't know the filler ends up looking more like wood especially right. if it's in a bigger piece and if it's um, than if it's just like regular yellow glue or something well you know and the, and the liquid high glue is water it's water soluble so it will actually accept a lot of color from stains and right oil finishes and stuff still so it just seems to work better yeah so it's kind of nice because I've, and I still have some little tubs of regular commercial filler that I keep on hand, but I feel like a lot of times I need it. So I buy one, use it. And then the next time I need it, whenever I go to use it, it's all dried out or it's yeah. moldy or yeah. whatever. And it's just kind of frustrating. So, well, there's kind of a science of mixing that stuff too. You know, even though you, those store-bought fillers, you know, as, as well as they apply, they never seem to be the right color. I mean, regardless, it's probably going to stick out more than you want to. So the fact that you've kind of started to continue to save um, sawdust from particular projects might give you a little bit more of a um, a close match on what you're working on too. So, yeah, yeah, and I feel like the liquid or the at least making your own. I have a it seems like it sticks in the void a lot easier yeah. than some of the commercial fillers do where it's like you push it in and then you kind of level it with, with a putty right. knife or something. And then half of it peels back out and dislodges unless you have like a completely clean putty knife. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's funny that you, you show those Phil, because I'm sitting here at my bench. So I just threw away a bag of walnut dust I had in my finishing cabinet. I was like, I was going through the fill up my my finishing cabinet. Sure. And it's like, oh, that one's dry. That one's dry. Oh, there's a bag of walnut dust. I look like I'm selling, you know, half gram bags of walnut dust. <laughs> but sitting here, I don't know if you guys will be able to see that or not. 
I have a big pile of uh, of pear dust that I've been saving on my bench because I know I'm going to need it here in a little bit. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, how petty can I be about plus, saving plus, stuff? Plus, you don't know what the dollar is going to do, so it's probably good you're starting to hoard these things that could That's be right. of value in the future. That's right. right. So. Exactly. Yeah. So, some 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 people uh, collect stamps and rare coins. We collect sawdust <laughs> from different <laughs> so the other item again isn't really brand new but i guess it's just the extent of it but i keep a ridiculous amount of wax in my shop so um it started off with these little well this one was a much bigger block of uh paraffin wax which i think i have a So the kind of your standard golf yep. wax canning products that come in bars, almost like a big block of soap. These have kind of fused together a little bit. So, um, so anyway, I have a few of those. And then since Logan started working at Woodsmith and is our resident beekeeper, mm -hmm. I now have a couple of little, uh, little pucks of beeswax that I keep around. And then, uh, and then it gets kind of worse because I thought I would take some beeswax and mix it with a little mineral oil. And I put some in a melted some and put it in a Altoids container and then use that for screws so that I, it's, it's soft enough that I can just kind of poke the screw in or uh, and then it covers the screw threads a lot easier than trying to scrape it through. Cause like with, you know, like paraffin wax is so crumbly yeah, you know it. It just doesn't stick to the screw threads that well. You know, I don't know if you've ever done that with paraffin, where you rub it on the screw threads, and then as soon as you start driving, the screw it just all falls off. Yep, right. But the beeswax is a little stickier, so that's funny. Seems like I have, it, I have a drawer next to me. Same thing. It's just blocks of wax is, is in it. It's like a couple different blocks of uh, or. Uh, blocks of beeswax or some uh, carno carnauba 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 yeah uh sound it out <laughs> well and right now it also has uh it has some mortise chisels in it too but waxes sure. saddle soaps there's a big old block of beeswax so. see there you go yep so and then i also have uh you know i mean i have a couple of cans of or tins of paste wax that i use you know, for furniture projects and whatever. But then I usually keep uh, in a jar, I got beeswax with boiled linseed oil and turpentine. Mm -hmm. That is kind of like a, I don't know, an all-purpose shop finish or, a, you know, something that doesn't get a lot of, you know, decorative bowls or objects or something yeah. like that where you want to have a little bit of a, little bit of a finish on it. And that's soft enough to apply and rub in, but isn't mm. going to be super hard or something like that. So. Right. Yeah. You know, I just was, I've been showing you, Phil, these chisel handles I've been working on. Um, right. You know, the, the, the brothers and sisters, the ones you made. And I found my, I have more tins of this than I care to admit. It's that Alfie shine. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's the same type of thing. It's a finish, but not really like a penetrating finish. So you know, on the same lines of wax. It's like, I, f I keep finding like three or four half gone tins. I need to just melt them all together into one. 
but it's a nice thing just to have something that you can apply quick like that. I'm feeling a little naked over here. You guys have props and I look like I'm broadcasting from campus town in Ames <laughs> elevator. <laughs> uh, well, it, it's helpful when I'm just sitting in my shop because it's the only quiet place in the house right now because yeah, <laughs> the kids true. are home. <laughs> so, See, and for me, it's just warm enough now to be able to be outside. So it's kind of nice to be able to be in my shop and not have to feel like I need the heater on. And are you in your actually, future? just Sorry. as we started uh, broadcasting, the uh, I don't know roof vent fan in the garage here kicked on. So that's kind of funny that, that it's yeah. actually that warm. So and then my final one, if I'm going to, I'm just going to make one up kind of here because I was noticing this is I'm kind of a sucker for vintage containers of all sorts. Mm -hmm. So like I have this uh, pipe tobacco tin, <laughs> Breedung, Breedung's crushed cubes for pipe and cigarette from the Monroe Chicar Cigar Company from Chicago, Illinois. Um, and I keep that jig parts in there. And uh, my grandparents were dairy farmers, so I have some bag balm tins. And so I'm always on the lookout for kind of funky old containers like that just to store store odds and ends. And Yeah, well, it's more interesting than just having a Folgers tin. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I or mean, uh, just, you know, Acro Mills plastic bins or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Might as well have something fun to look at. Right. Yeah. Some of that turn of the century advertising is just so interesting. I'm sure if you go back far enough, there's some pretty absurd ingredients as well as, uh, <laughs> as selling uh, catch, uh, catchphrases and highlighted points that would not fly today yeah so. right <laughs> yep claims that are not approved by the food and drug administration things right like that right this uh predated the poison squad <laughs> <laughs> well should we talk about some of our projects we got going on phil i know you're sure. finishing some up aren't you i am i don't have anything that i can show necessarily but right. i have a my nightstand project is actually in clamps now, finally, so that's nice. Um, I just have to put the finish making the top for it, which I'm just going to attach with uh, dowels. So sure. But otherwise, the case has turned out really well. I guess one thing that I really miss is, and I totally realize this is a first world problem, but I miss having access to our spray booth. I was going to say, it's the spray booth, isn't it? <laughs> So um, I've gone back to uh, water-based finishing. So I have some, which is nice because I can put it on in my basement and not, you know, fume out the whole family while I'm working on stuff. <laughs> and it still dries pretty quickly. So uh, one thing I will say that's cool that I've rediscovered are the, uh, the water-based finishing brushes by uh, Gramercy Tools. Oh, sure. Out yeah, of Brooklyn, yeah. um, Joel Moskowitz. Um, those brushes are just so nice for putting on finish. They hold a ton. 
and the bristles are so fine on there that it just lays it out nice and smooth so yeah it's almost self-leveling after you apply it it's nice yeah yeah well and i what i like about it is um you know for water-based finish especially if i haven't done it in a while i end up trying to do really thin coats which can end up looking either streaky or good and with those brushes like i can apply a, a thin coat and have it level or i can use the same brush with a slightly different technique and get a heavier coat and a quicker build on it if i'm looking for it so so yeah so i'm working on that and then uh i have a desk organizer that i'm wrapping up here for my work from home office just something that's going to fit between the keyboard and my monitor hold some pencils and pens and notepads and probably a little slot for my phone while I in between calls or things like that. So, sure. Yeah. And then the final thing is I I'll probably have it for next, uh, podcast is I had this, uh, little pruning saw. I don't know. It's probably six or seven inch long blade on it. That, uh, was just a real short handle and it works really well. Um, and it slides down into the handle, but I, it's one of those things where in my yard, most of the branches that I need to prune are just out of reach. Yeah. So I had some, uh, leftover ash from another project and I made a longer handle for it. So not quite a pole saw, but not just a little hand pruning saw either. So. Cool. So Dylan, yeah. you kind of, you you mentioned that you were working on something. You're in the middle of a middle of a magazine project, right? I am, yes. Yeah. So I've been uh, working on the lantern project for 250 um, this week. Um, as you know, we got the sent you some well sent you the design. I think either mid or late last week. Maybe it was earlier or later. I can't quite recall. Anyhow. Um, I have successfully built three of them. Um, I have not done the handles, oh. the, the brass handles on them yet. Sure. However, I've got two cypress ones. I got some pretty nice select straight grain cypress from the Woodsmith store that, um, I mean, it's really just beautiful stuff. It actually milled really well. I thought for sure that it would splinter a lot more than it did um, and actually held up pretty well. I just, again, made, ensured that I had sharp router bits and uh, a brand new or sharp and or clean table saw blade, but things worked out pretty well. And then I also had the luxury of building one out of redwood. Logan brought some of the redwood in from a, a water tower, was yep. it? Oh, yeah. Yep. yep, Las Vegas water tower. And uh, that stuff turned out great, too. It, it was a little bit harder to cut when I started to use my um, master pattern with the router bit. I had to be extra cautious about any tear out on that. Yeah. but. Um, the grain on it is so tight and straight and it just, uh, it's got a really consistent color and just pattern to it. So I, I, I picked out some good pieces for that. So I'll be excited to see what it's like once it's all oiled and, um, uh, finish up there with the, the nice brass handle on it. So, but we've, we've got three of those. We've got some options. We've got a couple different, um, finishing techniques or, uh, applications we might do on the, the two Cypress ones just to kind of get people, you know a little bit of a contrast of what's what's available out there and the different looks you can get achieved by using the same material but a different finishing product so oh, yeah. um, i'll be excited to wrap those up probably monday realistically i've got the materials ordered for the handles um i'll have the the 
I guess the, the body of the, the lanterns done, um, this afternoon. So, um, cool. Other than that, moving forward to 251, um, we've got a couple projects I'm doing for that. Um, we've got another deadline for Popwood coming up. So really just, uh, trying to generate some, uh, or really I should say collect images and generate some ideas for those, uh, and get started on designing for that. Um, I will say there's one home project I did start on uh, over the last couple weekends. I've started to frame out underneath the basement stairs at my house. So that's been quite the experience. It's kind of like you get started and how far do you want to take this? So what's turned into framing out the stairs? Oh, well, maybe those stringers could be replaced. Uh, maybe I should add some risers. Well, if I'm going to do that, maybe I should replace the stair treads, you know. So kind of taking a step back from that to be a little more realistic about my uh, um, home improvement goals for the house. And am I really going to get out what I put into it sort of thing? But um, I did that over the last couple of weekends. And, um, yeah, it's been nice to kind of step away from the work world a little bit. I It's, it's hard to do sometimes when, you know, you're – you're always thinking about design and it's applicable to not only your job, but your life. So it's nice to kind of put some focus towards the house and away from the work for a couple of days. So but other than that, just uh, looking forward to getting started on projects for the upcoming issue. And um, yeah. Cool. I'm interested to see how that redwood, like are you just going to oil it or lacquer it? I'll probably so just... I, have a, I have a beautiful spot on my shelf ready for it. Okay. Well, there's plenty of that material left over too, but yeah, if you, if you want one of the, the one of the final ones that we did for the issue, you're you're welcome to it. You could probably buy it for the, well, I don't know, who knows. Buy it for the material cost. Yeah. Donated. Yep. Yeah, I'll, I'll sell I'll sell it back to you for for nothing. Uh, that red, is that redwood nice though? Like it it is chippy. It's right. It's, it's it's not too it's not too bad with the blades on the table saw, but when you can move to band saws and any sort of routering, you've got to be really careful. Yeah, um, but and it's straight grain. It's densely like the like growth rings are super dense on it, so it's even. Yeah. Um, it's just it's a shame that we can't get more of it. I wish I would have. I wish I would have been able to get more than what I have. Um, yeah. Right. It's super nice. It's like it's the perfect thing for those small projects like that. Um, mm -hmm. And it, some of those blocks were, I don't know, yay big, um, like a probably closer know, to ten quarter. Yeah, yeah, like three up. inch by four inch, three inch mm -hmm. by five inch, maybe. Um, I was actually gonna make some whetstone boxes out of some of it, I think, because it's like oh, yeah. that. It's about that size, uh, but yeah, it's like gorgeous stuff. So, yeah, uh, I've been actually working on magazine stuff too. Uh, I have been when I for. Issue 251, we are doing a shop-built hand plane, and Dylan was going to design it and build it. Um, but I kind of started whining that I wanted to build it. And <laughs> I, and the only reason I, I said that is because I have, for the longest time, I have had – it's on my bench on the other end. Uh, I've had a plane by Bill Carter out of the UK. Uh, it's a little boxwood smoother. Uh, a beautiful plane. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Um, but Bill also makes uh, little miter planes, and he makes them um, out of brass or bronze uh, with steel or bronze soles. And I've wanted one for the longest time. They're, they're gorgeous. Uh, but I think my wife would leave me if I spent that much on one of them. Um, <laughs> they are, I believe they are about 1800 bucks U.S., 
um, for one of them. I mean, the guy spends weeks building them. I mean, they're they're worth every penny that he has into them. Um, but I thought, you know what? Let's go ahead and make one of our own. Um, so the plane we are going to be doing in 251 is going to be a little English uh, miter plane um, in the Bill Carter style. Uh, so this one's made out of brass. Um, this was kind of my preliminary, uh, let's figure out what we're doing design-wise on this. And I was like, you know what? I have some brass. I'm going to start cutting. Uh, so I have the uh, the sole and sides. Uh, they're dovetailed together. Um, the sole is actually has a, there's a, there's a tenon on the body that goes through the sole um, right yeah. out there. Uh, that's peened on. Um, the dovetails are all peened together. Um, I did solder this one um, just because this particular alloy of brass I had was very hard and it didn't peen well. Uh, it started to crack instead of peen. Um, yeah. So I peened it the best I could and then I soldered it. Um, and it still looks great. I mean, I've looked at some of Bill's up-close photos and uh, some of his, um, you can see the dovetails still. I mean, it's all done by hand. Sure. So it is what it is. Um, but did a little throwback for Bill on that Cupid's bow on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I made the iron for this one out of 01 tool steel. Um, it's eh, like eight and a half inches long. Um, so generally the miter planes will have a very long iron um, at a low angle. This one's at 20 degrees, 20.6 degrees. Uh, and then they will have a very, very, very fine mouth on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are, completely for absolute fine work. You know, they're not sure. for high off lot of material. They're for shooting end grain or cleaning up end grain, maybe some fine smoothing operations. Uh, so yeah, I've, the last couple of days I've been working on the, um, the wedge on there. I don't know if you guys can see that yes. real well. Um, it's actually made out of um, some pear I had, uh, some pear wood. I have a couple of sections here. Um, it's very, uh, it's a very pale, wood but then it has these weird like mineral streaks on it i think it's actually probably the heart the heartwood and the sapwood mm-hmm. um could be but this tree was pretty hollow it's a tree i took down from my grandpa's place about probably about 10 years ago and it's been drying ever since it's just been air drying um but i uh, i selected a spot for the the wedge that had some really nice streaking on it sure uh, um and I have to get the front infill done still. Um, obviously, there's nothing there. Uh, and then it will be getting it to work. Um, and that's going to require filing this mouth a little bit further open, uh, which I'm going to have to order a file for because all my files are too thick to fit in that mouth. I can get a strip of sandpaper in there and open it up a little bit. Um, I don't need to go terribly far on it to get it get the blade to protrude through there. Um, but just some fine fine tuning. Um, and then I don't think this, I, I don't know, we'll see if this is the one we show or not. I have some bronze coming uh, as well. So I'm going to make one more of these out of bronze, um, which bronze I think will peen better. It's a little bit harder to cut, um, but we'll, we'll see. So yeah. it's, you know, it's been a fun little thing to build. Um, I think it's going to probably live like right back here on my shelf. <laughs> so... Yeah, it'll be super fun. But well, making tools is a blast. I know it's. It, it yeah. is. It's it's rather addictive. <laughs> yeah. 
and especially when it's something kind of quirky, like the little miter planes. Because um, I know, like, there's a the one that you have there is, I guess, what I would call like his mid-sized one. Yeah. Because there's the original miter planes, which are uh, much bigger tools, kind of like the old Stanley. What was it the number nine or something like yeah. that? Mm-hmm. That was, I don't know, probably eight or probably nine inches long at least. Yeah. And probably two inches wide or something. And then Bill makes those little, little dinky ones out of you know the brass backs of tenon saws and things like yeah. that. But they're like a three quarter inch wide blade at most. And well, and it's funny because almost every I mean Bill has made some full size planes. Um, right. I think. Hopefully that doesn't fall. Oh, I'm trying to get a plane out. Uh, so, yeah, Bill started. I've talked to uh, Bill's wife, Sarah, because um, I would like to include a little bio page of him um, on sure. this plane article. I think it would be really fun to introduce people to him. Um, Bill started, he went to joinery school. Uh, he, he did an apprenticeship for joinery. Uh, and then at some point during his life, um, I think he was building, um, he was working for museums, building like displays is what he was doing. Uh, and at some point during his life in the uh, mid-early 80s, somewhere around there, uh, he decided, I'm going to make some hand planes. And it basically became his full-time job. And he's made a couple uh, big joiners. Um, and he's made some full-size planes, but most of them, like you said, are these really dinky little planes. And he was using just the material he had. And in the UK, brass backs from tenon saws are all over. I mean, you'll find a saw for a dollar that has the plate all rusted out, but the brass back is fine. So he just started, he has like a Rubbermaid tub full of them in his garage. Um, But all the planes that Bill does now are basically these little miniatures. Um, I I stood up and grabbed this guy, and this is my little boxwood smoother uh, from Bill in comparison to a regular size smoother. Mm -hmm. This one happens to be a toother, but uh, you know, that's the size that it is. So, uh, kind of an interesting uh, little thing he has. And there is a child, if you can hear him saying daddy. So, yeah, so it's, it'll be fun. It's a, it's a cool little project, and yeah. Cool. Right back, All right. Dylan, you got anything else? Well, I was just going to, I guess... A little side note on what Logan's talking about, the scale of Bill Carter's planes is just, you know, I haven't built more than maybe a couple small hand tools. And there is just something interesting about the intimacy and scale of working with stuff like that. I mean, not only does it kind of give you a different perspective, but like it really gives you a chance to know what feels good in your hand and makes you think about tools in a little more of a cerebral way and about how you know, not only should they function, but how should they look and how those are interrelated and, you know, ultimately how they perform. And so, um, I don't know, I can always appreciate that. And sometimes working that small is a lot more difficult too. I mean, I think it could be taken for granted that something smaller might be easier because it's small. Um, but, but, but realistically it's not. So (laughs) it's actually significantly, well, some of it's significantly harder, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like I was just looking at, I was I was basing the wedge for that miter plane uh, on this boxwood one. Let me blow your guys' eardrums out while I get the wedge out. And just looking at this wedge and how tight it fits in there, I'm like, how in the world did Bill get his hands in there to cut that? And like when that wedge is in place, 
there's no seam. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, how yeah. do you do that? Um, so it's just, it's fascinating. I think so, right. neuros- neurosis turns into psychosis when you're working <laughs> that small. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be, excited. I'll be excited to see that that hand plane in the next article. I know we were working on doing a, a potential for a German one, but you know, it's content we can all use down the road. So nothing nothing's lost here. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm excited to to see that in in the in the magazine. Yeah, that'd be cool. Okay, well that wraps up today's episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Once again, if you like the podcast. Uh, please feel free to rate us on whatever platform you're listening to. We're available on all the major ones. And you can even see the video version of this on our YouTube page. So just go, when you're on YouTube, look for the Woodsmith Shop, and you'll be able to find us there and see this episode and past episodes of the Shop Notes podcast. So please give us one of those ratings, uh, five stars and the highest are the best, and leave a comment. Um, also, don't forget to check out the episode guide page on our website at woodsmithshop.com slash podcasts. You'll find a guide for each episode uh, where you can see photos of what we've been talking about and links to some of the projects and techniques and materials that we've been relating to. So we'll see you around next time. And thanks for joining us for the Shop Notes podcast. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com.